Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to your word, uh, and as we consider once again this uh, story of Jonah, and uh, Jesus, what you call the sign of Jonah, uh, we ask that you would... um, As we talk about spiritual life, we ask that you would impart the life that we're going to be talking about. Um, we, uh, we know that you have come to teach us, and yet you teach us not merely by filling us with concepts, and not simply by persuading us, though you do that, uh, but you teach us by imparting the reality that you describe. You actually give it as a gift. And so we ask that you would give us now spiritual life, deeper spiritual life, stronger spiritual life, more compelling spiritual life, more animating spiritual life. And even if we don't know what that means, you do. And we ask that you would impart it in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat. All right. So today, uh, some of you will notice that um, that that first reading from Jonah, please turn back to it. was uh, that we read it last week. So we're going to take one more uh, bite at the apple, so to speak, or at the cherry or whatever you're supposed to say. Um, So we're finishing our sermon series in uh, Jonah. We've been in Jonah throughout Lent. We, like I said, we sort of finished it last week. We finished um, the last portion of the book last week. Um, But today, instead of looking at the details, kind of bit by bit, We're going to back up and we're going to look at the big picture of Jonah one last time. And here's why we're going to do that. Um, Jonah, uh, as you'll know if you've been with us the last few weeks, Jonah is a book about a really bad prophet. Just a a terrible prophet. Um, He's religious. He's, you know, uh, uh, he's a prophet. And yet, in spite of that, his heart is not deeply transformed by God's mercy. And therefore, as we've walked through Jonah, it's been a cautionary tale. It's been a kind of tale of saying, don't be like Jonah. Uh, But there's more. The reason I say that there's more is that Jonah, the story of Jonah, was originally written to ancient Israel. And what had happened is, at the time that it was originally written, Israel was acting in many ways a lot like Jonah. So they were were religious uh, of, of a sort, And yet, in spite of that, they were uh, not deeply transformed by the mercy of Jesus, or of of God. And this story of Jonah was designed to come to them and say, Israel, Israel, um, look at Jonah. And then, Israel, look at yourself. And ask yourself, do you see a family resemblance here? Right? Right? And then the warning is that if you do see a family resemblance, Israel, it means that like Jonah, you are deeply, not to use too strong a word, but I think it fits, you're you're deeply spiritually dead. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how uh, Jonah, the story, gives a picture of, in a sense, um, somebody who's religious, but nevertheless spiritually dead. And therefore, it is a call to spiritual life. As I was thinking about this, I realized that, and this, is, this may sound a little odd, but it's the best way I can do, I'm imagining it. If you could take the character of Jonah and sort of reach into him, this is, getting, this is going to be an odd image, and pull him inside out, okay? If you, could have, if you could look at the opposite of Jonah, 
then you would have a picture of at least some aspects of what real spiritual life is supposed to be. Jonah's religious, but he's deeply spiritually dead. If you turn him around, the story implies what it looks like to be spiritually alive and deeply transformed by God's mercy. And so uh, to wrap up Jonah, that's what we're going to do. I want to point out four uh, characteristics of real spiritual life that are implied in Jonah, almost in the negative. I'll run through them real quick now, and then we'll look at them in detail. First of all, Jonah implies that the spiritual life is born through God's mercy. Secondly, Jonah implies that the spiritual life is marked by a delight in mercy for others. Thirdly, Jonah implies that the spiritual life will uh, fill us with zeal for God's missionary purpose. And lastly, it implies that the spiritual life will make us ready to sacrifice. Let me explain. First of all, Jonah implies that uh, the spiritual life is born through God's mercy. Think about the big picture of the story of Jonah, okay? There's something very, very tragic that I hope you've seen. The tragedy is that the Lord, all through the story, pursues Jonah in great mercy. And yet, in spite of that, Jonah, this wayward prophet, just keeps on running in the other direction. So, you remember in uh, uh, chapter 1, God calls Jonah, says, I want you to go preach to the Ninevites, which, who are your enemies. Jonah doesn't want to do that, and so he gets in a boat and he runs away. But what God, when God does when he is faced with Jonah's rejection is Jonah just does, or God just doesn't give up on him. God pursues him in mercy. And you remember Jonah gets tipped overboard uh, into the sea, and the Lord, in his mercy, again, pursues Jonah right into the depths of the sea and right into the belly of a fish. Jonah cries out for the Lord's mercy because he doesn't have anything else to do, and the Lord saves him and, 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 and restores him. And for a moment, it looks good because Jonah gets um, vomited out of the fish, which is a fun image, and then he goes and he obeys, and Nineveh repents and everything seems great, except that when Nineveh repents, Jonah looks at his enemies who are no longer going to be destroyed, and he just pitches a fit. He just gets super angry at the Lord because of his mercy, and that's pretty much where the story ends. A tantruming prophet. And the scene closes with Jonah in the dust, crying out and shaking his fist at God. And the odd thing is that we never find out what happens to Jonah. And that's part of the point. Because the story doesn't end with Jonah. Jonah is not the main character, after all. The story ends with the reader's response. Do you catch that? So, th this story is designed so that the people of God, originally the people of Israel, today the church, it's designed so the people of God read this story and then we're supposed to go, oh no, we're like Jonah. We're religious. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here in some way. 
but we're not deeply transformed. Or are we deeply transformed? But then it's not supposed to stop there because what happens is Jonah, we look back at the story and Jonah sort of fades from view and then we see the main character. And the main character is the Lord and his mercy and his kindness. Because it's as we look at the Lord's mercy that the Lord's mercy towards Jonah is meant to shock the reader alive spiritually. Now I can imagine somebody saying, Wait a second, Jim. You're reading an awful lot into that. How do you get that? Thank you. I love it when you ask good questions. Here's how. It's what happens with Nineveh. The Ninevites are terrible, right? And yet they change. What makes them change? What is it that shocks them awake to the spiritual life? It's that they at least had a hint that the Lord might be merciful to him, to them. It was the Lord's mercy that brought them to life. And that's how it always works. Uh, let me introduce you to a guy called James Hannington. You ever heard of James Hannington? Nope, didn't think so. So he was a late Victorian vicar in England. See, not nobody will have heard of him. He went to Oxford, um, but he wasn't very well known for his uh, intelligence. He was more known for having a grand old time. And after he got out of Oxford, he was ordained a vicar, because why not? Um, and, um, and, and they put him down in Devon, and he worked very, very hard. And he uh, told people to behave and to, and to do, you know, try not to do bad stuff. However, in spite of the fact uh, that he was, he was actually really trying to be a, a good vicar, Vicar is English for pastor, but anyways. Um, he, he had a sneaking suspicion that he and God were not getting along. He was religious, but he was not deeply transformed by mercy. And just as a parenthetical here, um, if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, it, it will be very tempting to expect that what we're going to tell you is you really need to be religious. You need to tick all the boxes. And if you perform really well religiously, then um, it'll be great. That's not our great hope for you. The great hope is that you, with us, will find that Jesus is not just a religious historical figure or a great teacher, but rather someone that you can know who can reach into your life and give you a spiritual life that ends up animating and transforming every aspect of who you are. That is the religious life shot through with life. And that's what happened to James Hannington. So what happened is he had an old friend from college who had been praying for him. And this old friend from college sent him a book that was about the cross of Jesus Christ. The book came in the post. James Hannington picked it up and went, oh dear, my friend again. And he, he, he threw it away because he's like, man, I'm, I'm a vicar. Like, I know about this stuff. However, to get his friend off his back, he uh, jumped, he, he just kind of laid down on his bed, picked up the book and figured, all right, let's read it. So we pick up the story. So once more, Hannington tells us, I took the old thing, meaning the book, and read straight on for three chapters or so until at last the book asked me this question. Do you feel your sins forgiven? 
By means of this question, my eyes were opened. My eyes were opened. Now pause. My question is this. James knows a lot of things. What is it that he sees now that he hadn't seen before? He goes on. I was in bed at the time of reading, and I sprang out of bed and leaped around the room rejoicing, that should have been fun, and praising God, here it is, that Jesus had died for me. From that day to this, I have lived under the shadow of his wings in the assurance of faith that I am his, and he is mine. Now, catch that. James, when he sits down to read, or lays down to read this book, he knows about Jesus. He knows about the cross. He knows about forgiveness. He has the structure of religion in place. But think about a human body. You can have a human body with all the parts in the right place, and nevertheless, the human body might not be alive. Something else happens to bring the body to life. What was it that was new for James that brought him to life? It was that he could see for the first time that Jesus' mercy was not just for everybody, that was not just in general, but was for him, for James. And that's what it is that Jonah failed to see. Jonah knew all too well that the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and la, 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 la. But he was blind that that mercy was the most precious gift in the world and that it was for him because if he had seen it, it would have changed his life. The point is, spiritual life is birthed through seeing God's mercy, not just generally, but for you. But then, secondly, spiritual life is marked by a delight in mercy extended towards others. Okay, you can see the opposite of this in Jonah, right? Jonah hated that the Lord showed mercy to his enemies, to the Ninevites. He hated the Ninevites. He hated the Lord's mercy towards the Ninevites. And that was a sign that he was spiritually dead. Religious people with cold hearts towards others are spiritually dead. But the opposite is also true. When God's mercy calls us to life, when the dead body goes, Duh, and wakes up, it happens through God's mercy coming into the heart, and the mercy of God uh, sort of replicates itself. It reproduces itself within our hearts, kind of like a, a holy sort of virus, if I could say it that way, so that all of a sudden we find ourselves desiring mercy for others, just like God desires mercy for us. We desire mercy for others, and it becomes our delight. James Hannington, before he knew spiritual life, he, he just sort of told people in his church to behave well. After he knew spiritual life, he found an unquenchable desire that his, the people in his congregation and in his community would know mercy. It, somebody said this about him, sharing the mercy of Jesus with others was not merely the work of his life, it was the delight of Hannington's life. Everything changed about his work. So he wasn't just a religious leader anymore. He spent his life sharing mercy with others. And so pause and think about your heart. Emmanuel, do you delight in mercy extended? But now let's push it further. The third thing is that the spiritual life 
drives us, and this is an extension of what we just said, it drives us in missionary zeal. What do you mean by that? Well, God sent Jonah to be a missionary to the Ninevites. He was terrible. He, why? Because he hated the mission. Jonah was self-centered, he was tribal, he was a racist, and he was a nationalist. And ironically, all of those things, in all of those things, he ended up betraying his own nation. Why do I say he betrayed his own nation? Here's why. When God first established Israel back in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 12, God's charter to Israel was that through Israel, God wanted to share and spread mercy to other nations. So the idea that was that Israel was supposed to be, a, a they were designated to be a people who themselves were born in mercy and then sent in mercy so that eventually other nations could be born in mercy and sent in mercy themselves. And therefore, when Jonah rejects God's mission, he's betraying his own nation's deep charter. However, on the other hand, when God's people receive real spiritual life, what happens is our self-centeredness begins to fall away. Our tribalism begins to crumble and fall. Our racism begins to crumble away and become putrid towards us. And our nationalism begins to fall away because all of those things are incompatible with the mercy of Jesus Christ and the charter of Christ's church. Soon after uh, Hannington experienced spiritual life, he began to love East Africa. He began to pray for it. Why? I don't know. Except that it's the most natural thing in the world. Because when you receive spiritual life, it's natural to find yourself loving people outside your tribe precisely because Jesus loved you when you were outside his tribe. Very soon after this, uh, James was asked to leave England to become the first missionary bishop in East Africa. A missionary bishop is a bishop that's uh, designated to go and plant churches. Our bishop, Emmanuel's bishop, is a missionary bishop. And so Hannington uh, left England... He went to East Africa, this is the late 1800s, and he poured out his life so that East Africa could experience the same spiritual life that he had experienced. And what he would do is he would walk, late 1800s, walk from community to community, sharing Jesus' mercy and uh, relieving need. People were starving all around him. One time he wrote this in his diary. I have to praise God for one of the most successful journeys I've ever taken. For myself, too, I've enjoyed most excellent health for most of the way, during a tramp of, wait for it, 400 miles. May its result be the planting of the cross of Christ on Kilimanjaro. 400 miles. This guy wasn't messing around. A little bit later, he records in his diary just this excitement that he got to uh, ordain two men to be the first indigenous pastors in East Africa, two men who had been former slaves, liberated. And now James Hennington is just over the moon that he gets to ordain them to be priests, and he sends them out to continue the mission. Spiritual life drives missionary zeal. It, because the Lord's mercy breaks down our tribalisms and sends us out. So, spiritual life comes to birth through mercy. 
That spiritual life drives us to delight in mercy extended. That, in turn, drives us to, to have a passion, particularly for mercy extended to people outside our tribe. And then lastly, the spiritual life makes us ready to sacrifice. Do you notice in the reading uh, how Jonah wants to die? Do you notice that? He, he wants to die because he's like, God, I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of it. I want to die. I want out. Um, the spiritual life, real spiritual life, also leads us to a kind of death. But for the opposite reason. Spiritual life makes us love Jesus' mercy more than we love life itself. And when we love Jesus' mercy more than we love life itself, then it makes sense. It just is logical for us to give our lives in pursuit of mercy. Most of the time, just by self-sacrifice in the ordinary sorts of ways that we all have to do in our families, in the life of singleness, in the life of marriage, in the life of being a parent, in the life of being a child, in the life of being Christians at work, and so on and so forth. But it can also go more than that. On Hannington's last journey, uh, he was trying to make contact with a kingdom uh, in what is now Uganda. However, as he approached, uh, one of, uh, there, there was another group that uh, misinformed the king of this uh, tribe, the Baganda people, uh, and told him that Hannington was an enemy. Hannington was captured, he was held prisoner in just deplorable conditions. While he was there, we, we have his diary, it reads this. I fell exhausted on my bed. I burst into tears. Health seems to be giving way. Yet I ought to praise Jesus' holy name. And I do praise Jesus' holy name. And then the editor writes, In the long hours of captivity, Hannington found his chiefest comfort in his Bible particularly Psalms 27 and 28, and St. Matthew 5, 44 through 45. Now, what I find interesting is that here it's as bad as it can get, right? And yet, he looks to Psalm 27 and Matthew 5. Why is that helpful? Psalm 27, if you know it, it says... In the midst of horrendous circumstances, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. What's the beauty of the Lord? The beauty of the Lord is his character. Gaze upon the Lord who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Gaze upon the mercy of Jesus. That's what gave him hope. And then, Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 45, what is that? It's where Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Because that's a sign that you're in the family of God. My point is that here's Hannington in the worst possible situation, and he is grasping not so much onto his own life, but upon to the mercy of Jesus Christ. And that is spiritual life. And they killed him for it. However, uh, right before they killed him, uh, he spoke to his executioner. His executioner reported this. And he told his executioner to pass a message to the king of, of the Baganda. And he said, tell the king that I give my life for his people. 
sometime later, um, the executioner's grandson ended up being a missionary as well. Spiritual life makes us ready to sacrifice. But that's not the whole story. And if I stop there, it could misrepresent the reality because here's Jonah. Jonah ends the story and he's alive, but it's a tragedy. Hannington, the end of his story, he's dead, but it's not a tragedy at all. Right before he left on that trip, he said this, writing in a letter. If this be the last chapter of my earthly life, then the next will be the first page of the heavenly. No blots, no smudges. No incoherence, but sweet converse in the presence of the Lamb. See, spiritual life recognizes that Jesus' mercy is stronger than death. And therefore, death doesn't win. Jesus wins. And that's what makes us so free. Can you imagine living like that? Well, that's the way the Lord wants us to live. So, Emmanuel, how's the spiritual life? Do you know it? Is it growing? What's its trajectory? Up, down? In the gospel reading, Jesus talks to people who are very, very religious, but they weren't transformed, not by the mercy of the Lord. And therefore, Jesus looks at them and he says, you need the sign of Jonah. What does that mean? Well, Jonah's story is all about God's mercy mercy to somebody who doesn't deserve it. But that was just the trailer. It wasn't the feature film. The feature film's Jesus. And just like Jonah was three days in the fish, Jesus was three days in the tomb, but he was in the tomb for a different reason. He was in the tomb because he delighted in the, in the mission of God. He was in the tomb because he delighted towards mercy to be extended to those who do not in themselves deserve it. He was in the tomb in order that he could give spiritual life to those who in our hearts want to run the other direction. And that's why what we do when we look in our hearts and we say, there's some spiritual death in my heart, what we do is we look at Jonah and then stop looking at Jonah. And we look at a man like Hannington and then we stop looking at Hannington. And then we look at Jesus with unflinching gaze. We look on Jesus and we see Jesus looking at us and saying, it is my delight to give you my Holy Spirit. Amen.